Good morning. This is Northern Light for Tuesday, December 19th. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. The North Country was hit by intense flooding yesterday. Three counties declared states of emergency and roads closed across the region. Right now we are looking at water that is almost completely at where you would pull off to park by River Road at the grass level. This is probably the highest I've ever seen it and I grew up here in Lake Placid. This is kind of incredible and terrifying. Also, our healthcare series continues today with part two of a story on the lack of professional caregivers for older adults and what happens to families when they don't have support. I would have happily paid somebody $4,000 a month to keep her at home, you know, and that would have been much better spent money, her money, much better spent and would have lasted a lot longer than paying an assisted living facility to poorly care for her, frankly. Astronomer Eileen O'Donohue joins us to talk about what to look for in the morning and evening skies. And we remember one of the North Country's longtime advocates for same-sex marriage and LGBTQ rights. Eileen Raymond passed away last Friday. All that's coming up on Northern Light. Stay tuned. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by Long Run Wealth, an SEC-registered investment advisor in Lake Placid, providing comprehensive wealth management, retirement, and financial planning solutions, longrunwealth.com, and Citizen Advocates, offering the North Country mental health, addiction, and housing services, plus crisis care, job training, and more. Citizenadvocates.net slash 124. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. The storm that hit the region Sunday and yesterday caused serious flooding in parts of the North Country, especially the Adirondacks. There were counties that declared states of emergency yesterday. Flooding caused some schools to close and delayed start times at some school districts this morning. Flooding on State Highway 8 in both directions between River Road and Chester and uh, Riparius Bridge. All lanes open alternating lane closures with a temporary traffic signal in place this morning. Again, that's in uh, Chester. Also, the website uh, 511ny.org has more information on, on road closures in northern Franklin and Clinton County this morning. Uh, the flooding on Highway 11 in both directions, Southwick Road in Moores to Creek Road in Champlain. All lanes are closed this morning. And in northern Franklin County, uh, flooding in Fort Covington uh, on Water Street, both directions, uh, and Canadian Customs, uh, Fort Covington. All lanes are closed as of 7 o'clock this morning. For more information on specifics, you can check the website 511ny.org. Anna Williams-Bergen has more on the flooding yesterday and uh, as it continues today. Warm temperatures melting snow have combined with heavy rain to create flooding across the North Country region. Franklin, Essex, and Warren counties, as well as the town of Wells, have declared states of emergency. The town of Jay and the Osable Forks Fire Department are recommending some residents evacuate as the Osable River continues to swell. 
Leslie Breyer pulled off Route 86 by the ski jumps outside Lake Placid, where the road crosses the west branch of the Osable River. Right now we are looking at water that is almost completely at where you would pull off to park by River Road at the grass level. This is probably the highest I've ever seen it, and I grew up at, here in Lake Placid. This is kind of incredible and terrifying. Scott Parker of Hamilton, Ontario, was in town to complete the 46ers, but rangers at the Adirondack Lodge said it was unsafe to hike. I have done 41 of the 46ers. I came down here this weekend to complete the 46ers, and I am deciding to turn around and do the eight-hour drive home because the water levels are higher than I've ever seen them in the dozens of trips that I've made down here. Officials are warning residents not to drive through standing water, even if it appears shallow. The National Weather Service forecasts up to 2.5 inches of rain across the region. Anna Williams-Bergen, North Country Public Radio. We will have continued coverage on the flooding in the region today. You can find out more at our website, ncpr.org, or on the station's Facebook and Instagram pages. Caitlin Kelly contributed to this story. Most Americans want to spend their old age at home. Families, healthcare workers, and the government agree it's best for elderly people to age in place and avoid institutional care as long as possible. There's nowhere near enough in-home care aides to take care of all the seniors who need it. Yesterday, we heard a story on what in-home care looks like when it's working. Find that and all our health care coverage at ncpr.org. Today, we see what happens when families who need in-home care don't get it. Monica Sandresky has our story. Kate Glenn squats before a makeshift altar in her living room in Saranac Lake. So she... Uh she kind of exists here. There's a box of ashes, a bunch of dried lavender, and a bottle of Chanel Number no. 5. When I miss her, I spray it. It smells like her. It's nice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Glenn recalls the day in 2020 she knew something was wrong with her mom. She was in town for Thanksgiving and had grabbed a towel to rinse off. She was very upset with the water falling down on her. She was, like, scared to get into the shower. And I was like, okay, well, we'll take a bath. Her mom was 72, and she knew she had Alzheimer's, but today was different. She got into the tub and coaxed her mom in with her. And then I washed her hair. It's the first time in my life I'd ever washed my mother's hair or another person's hair. And it was lovely because she really enjoyed it. And, you know, it felt good to take care of my mom, you know. Uh, But she also, like, couldn't really do it on her own. What Glenn didn't fully realize then was that she was about to become her mom's full-time caregiver. She needed help, so she called a couple of agencies in town to find a home health aide. Nothing, just wait lists. Her mom's care was up to her. My landlord was really lovely. They fixed up a room for me in the back of the garage so that, you know, I had a room of my own and she could have the bedroom in the house, in the main house. For seven months, each morning, Glenn poured her mom's coffee and raisin bran and got her dressed. Alzheimer's is strange. You know, some days you're present, some moments you're present, and sometimes you're not. And some days she could put her pants on and some days she couldn't. She called those days the I need help days. Then Glenn taught a few hours at a time at Paul Smith's. She knew her mom was okay if she texted her back. She paid a colleague to take her mom to Nori's and go for walks. These are all things a professional home health aide should do. 
Then one evening, her mom started screaming inconsolably, on the floor writhing and talking to people who weren't there. Glenn called 911. But I remember feeling sort of a sense of relief at the emergency room because, like, I had somebody else to help me understand what was happening with her in that moment. It was a urinary tract infection. UTIs can trigger delirium for people with Alzheimer's. The months of care were overwhelming her. Glenn couldn't handle it anymore. Her experience is a common one, says Andrea Montgomery. She's the director of the St. Lawrence County Office for the Aging. It's, it's absolutely frustrating um, to all of us in the field that, that every day we're having to deliver that bad news. Um, I'm sorry that service doesn't exist for you. Um, and knowing that you may be uh, leaving someone in a situation um, that isn't necessarily safe for them. Nationwide, hundreds of thousands of older Americans are on wait lists for caregivers. But the thing is, the length of those wait lists isn't indicative of the severity of the problem. Take St. Lawrence County, for example. Montgomery's Office for the Aging has a program to pay for in-home care for people who don't qualify for Medicaid and can't afford it on their own. They serve about 60 seniors. There's about that many people on the wait list. But the county has 15,000 people over age 70, most of whom would benefit from some kind of in-home care, she says. They'd need to hire thousands of aides willing to work for essentially minimum wage to meet the need. Isaac Jabola-Careless is a research analyst at the CUNY School for Labor and Urban Studies. He says the numbers do not add up. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a broken system and one that needs an overhaul, and it needs an overhaul not just at the state level, but at the federal level as well. Actually, there's photos of her everywhere now, I'm realizing. After months of being the primary caregiver for her mom, Kate Glenn moved her into an assisted living facility. She knew what was happening. Like, we had a conversation about it. Uh, she was very emotional, but she also... I think it was probably one of the last things she could do for me was just to put on a brave face and go into the facility. And I think she knew, you know, that she would probably not be coming out of that facility. Uh, but, um, yeah, I have a lovely video of her, like, waving goodbye to me from her room. You know, when we dropped her off, it felt like a good experience. Glenn went to visit, and she made the most of the time with her mom. They got chocolate ice cream cones, painted their nails bright red, and listened to Tina Turner... But her mom's Alzheimer's was progressing. She was moved into a memory care unit. Glenn says it was overcrowded and understaffed. Her teeth got bad. It wasn't clear if she was eating and she was over-medicated. Glenn feels like she watched her mom deteriorate. I would have happily paid somebody $4,000 a month to keep her at home, you know? And that would have been much better spent money, her money, much better spent. It would have lasted a lot longer than paying an assisted living facility to poorly care for her, frankly. Glenn says she witnessed staff turnover, cleaned up used adult diapers, and rotting food from under her mom's bed. I I think sometimes I spend more time frustrated navigating a system than really mourning the loss of my mother who was right in front of me. You know, like it kind of took away some of my time with her because it became about how do I navigate this system so that she can have a good death eventually, right? Which is like where this was all going one day. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was hard, and it really shouldn't be that hard. Uh, it shouldn't be that hard. Her mom's delusions became constant. 
The staff transferred her to the hospital in Plattsburgh, which can happen with challenging patients. She died a month later. Researcher Jabola Carolis says the underlying issue to having enough caregivers for all the seniors who need them is how caregivers are paid. Most in-home care is funded through Medicaid. The Medicaid budget is set each year with money from a general pool that's also paying for education and housing and other competing budget priorities. So it's subject to special interests and politicking from lawmakers. And that is just an unsustainable situation for funding home care services in this country. Many elected leaders recognize that the scale of the problem is too vast for states to manage alone. New York already spends about $4 billion in Medicaid money on home health aides each year. The uh, subcommittee on health of the Senate Finance Committee will come to order. This fall, Democratic Senator Ben Cardin from Maryland convened a bipartisan hearing advocating for seniors to age in place. But the number one challenge, in my view, is the failure of our nation to have a coordinated long-term care strategy. We don't. And because of the lack of a coordinated policy, seniors often end up in a more costly environment, in a less desirable environment, and I would suggest a more dangerous environment for their long-term health. Medicaid was never designed to be a long-term home care services program, says researcher Jabola Careless. It's an anti-poverty program. But in the absence of any coordinated home care insurance program, what you get is Medicaid struggling to adapt to the increasing need for in-home elder care. Montgomery at the Office for the Aging is impatient. You know, we've been expecting this. This isn't news. Our baby boomers, um, you know, we've known for years what's going to happen, and they haven't put the infrastructure in place. And that's at a federal and state level, and it's just mind-boggling. In 2021, there was widespread anticipation when President Biden tried to infuse $400 billion for caregivers in the big infrastructure bill. Republicans ultimately shot it down. Researcher Jabola Carolis says sporadic influxes of money like that aren't a sustainable way to fund in-home care for the long term anyway. He suggests a model like Medicare, which is funded consistently through tax contributions. And that is the type of model that we need to move toward for home care if we want to provide access to home care at a much larger scale that anyone can access regardless of their income level and if we want to be able to fund a workforce that provides home care in a way that actually attracts and retains workers. Back in Saranac Lake, Kate Glenn says when her mom was dying in the hospital, she wasn't sure what a good death looked like. That morning, I, uh, I went to a local farm over in Plattsburgh, and uh, I picked 200 um, sunflowers and put them in her room along with bunches of dried lavender. And uh, yeah, I just felt like where you die should be kind of a beautiful place, you know. She put on Tina Turner and handed out pastries for the nurses and thanked them because she knew they had done the best they could. I do feel like I failed her a lot, but that's a a common feeling, I think, amongst caregivers is that you're not doing enough because the truth is you can't do enough. And it's not true, (laughs) but we often feel like guilty, right? That we just can do more. Glenn says the trauma she and her mom experienced 
wasn't just from the disease, but from a broken healthcare system struggling under the weight of too much pressure. There's one more thing. Glenn is quick to point out that she and her mom had the money, know-how, and time to navigate this system and to do the caregiving herself. But the North Country is poor. Every service provider I talk to has story after story of clients with inadequate support who sit in their own stool for days because they can't get up, or who don't eat because they can't walk to the kitchen, or who fall and lay on the floor for three days because no one's checking on them. Those are the people, Glenn says, who are really falling through the cracks. Monica Sandresky, North Country Public Radio. Listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio, 17 minutes past eight. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Coming up in just a few minutes, astronomer Eileen O'Donohue joins us in studio to guide us through what to look for in the morning and evening skies in the next month. That conversation in just a few minutes here on Northern Light. Martha Gallagher, the Adirondack Harper out of Keene. Northern Light is supported by Fisher, Bissett, Baldowney, and McArdle, attorneys and counselors at law with offices in Malone, Tupper Lake, and Saranac Lake. 800-941-5001. And Adirondack Foundation and the Adirondack Birth to Three Alliance, dedicated to providing all children the best possible start in life. AdirondackBT3.org. New York State's Republican senators are speaking out against the state's electric school bus mandate. New York has set a goal of transitioning all of the state's school buses to electric by 2035. Starting in 2027, every new bus purchase must be electric. Fifteen state senators, including North Country Senator Dan Steck, have signed a letter opposing these requirements. Electric buses cost a lot more, and they say it's just too expensive, especially for rural schools. The letter calls on Governor Kathy Hochul to lift the mandate unless she's willing to fund the transition completely. The state has allocated $100 million to help school districts buy electric buses. There's also additional money set aside specifically for need and disadvantaged, uh, high need and disadvantaged districts that includes many of those in the North Country. The number of jobs in local government in New York has fallen in the last 15 years. That's according to a new report by the State Controller's Office. It shows that outside New York City, there are nearly 
8% fewer full-time jobs in local government. That's a loss of nearly 40,000 jobs. And those numbers bucked national trends. Nationwide, there was a 2% increase in local government jobs during the same time period. The controller's office pointed to the, 20, uh, the 2008 recession and the COVID-19 pandemic as two main causes. In the North Country's small towns, local government has provided some of the most stable and best-paying jobs in the area. The North Country lost a longtime advocate for same-sex marriage, LGBTQ plus rights, and social justice. Eileen Raymond passed away last Friday morning from cancer at her home in Canton. She was born in Boston and taught in the education department at SUNY Potsdam for several years, retiring as the associate dean. In 2001, she uh, gave us an, an, a commentary. Eileen commemorated the first anniversary of her civil union ceremony in Derby Line, Vermont, with her partner, Donna. On July 8, 2000, family and friends gathered in a small country church to celebrate a wedding. The happy couple entered the church and walked up the aisle to stand before the ministers. There they each promised to be loving partners for all of their lives, just as countless numbers of couples had done before them. Then the minister uttered this pronouncement, Donna and Eileen, you have spoken a covenant of love and trust to each other and symbolized your commitment by the exchanging of rings. You have created for yourselves a marriage. And by the power vested in me by the state of Vermont and the Unitarian Universalist Association, I am delighted to declare that your lives are now joined in civil and holy union. A simple act, and yet one that stands as a milestone. For the couple that day was my partner and I, two women. Vermont had recently become the first and only state to provide official recognition of our commitment to each other. They pledged to us all the rights and responsibilities given to all other couples seeking to solemnize their unions. That's Eileen Raymond in a 2001 NCPR commentary recalling her civil union in Vermont. She died last Friday at her home in Canton. Eileen Raymond is survived by her wife, Donna, her son, Brian, three stepchildren, three grandchildren, and four siblings. A memorial service will be held at a future date. You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio on this Tuesday, the 19th of December. I'm Todd Moe, and uh, with me in just a moment is uh, Eileen O'Donoghue and my co-host, 
Monica Sunbreski. There we are, Monica and Eileen. <laughs> good, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Todd. Yes, yes. Eileen, conversation with her in just a second. Then after that, we uh, have Bird Note coming up at 842. Uh, we'll learn about the long-eared owl, but first, Todd, has a look at the weather up for us. Still some areas of flooding this morning, some high some rivers with high water levels, according to the National Weather Service. Flood warnings remain in effect through early tomorrow afternoon for the Hudson River at Hadley. Uh, that's according to the Weather Service. And also, flood warning continues for the Moose River, uh, including McKeever. Minor flooding is in the forecast as well. That's the Moose River below McKeever affecting Lewis, Oneida, and Herkimer counties. The rest of the region... Snow showers, light snow showers today, probably tonight as well. Highs in the low 30s, lows in the 20s tonight. Then tomorrow and Thursday and Friday, a mix of sun and clouds with highs in the low to mid 30s. We have snow showers, 28 degrees in Canton right now. And Thursday, as in like two days from now, it's going to be winter. It's the formal start, the formal of, start. On Gregor- of the Gregorian <laughs> calendar. I mean, let's be specific here. <clears throat> so we Celts have been in winter for, you know, since the beginning of November. You know, I mean, okay. this is the midpoint in winter <laughs> yes. for many of us. But, uh, yes, it will formally uh, commence. Let's see. Oh, I didn't write down the time. Uh, and... Um, but that'll happen on Thursday. Thursday is the shortest day. And Thursday night, Thursday, Friday is the longest night. It'll be a whopping 10 seconds more of dark than tonight. Uh, and so, you know, I am just reveling in this. I just love these nights. 10.27 p.m. 10.27 p.m. So that is when the sun is at its southernmost point. And then after that, it starts moving north, and the days start getting longer. We start losing dark slowly at first. All right. And actually, in the evening, we've already had the earliest sunset. And sunset tonight is almost two minutes later than it was on December 9th. And so light is already creeping back into the evening, I can tell. (laughs) That tingle that you get in your skin. (laughs) But in the the mornings, it's still getting darker in the morning. So those of you like lingering in bed, okay, yes, you can linger in bed even even longer. So you'll get another um, four minutes. Not us. No, not not the (laughs) morning radio people. Todd shakes his head. Nope. (laughs) So anyway. So we're at the darkest point of the year. It's a great time to be outside when the clouds break and see the sky. And also the moon. On the 27th, we'll have the full moon. Mm. And the full moon, that close to the winter solstice, follows the path of the summer sun. So the moon will, because the full moon is opposite the sun. So the sun is on the winter path. The moon is on the summer path. That's why you're saying high and bright. Yeah, high and Mm. bright. So it'll be up all night if it's clear and you can get out on the skis. I mean, it's a great moonlight ski night. And it's just the winter moon is high and bright. And, you know, it's only the summer moon that shines in my bedroom windows because it's very low. And we don't really think about the moon in summer. We think about the moon in winter. And this is part of the reason why. So, And I can't help but notice that in the evening, we've got quite a few planets coming our way. <clears throat> we have Saturn and Jupiter. Uranus is lurking there beside Jupiter to the left. And Jupiter is 
creeping closer. And since we got a bright moon right now, this isn't a time yeah. to, to look at it. But it'll give us a chance to find, as it gets closer, I'll, I'll try to let people know so that when it's within the same field of a binocular view... That'll give you a chance. Look at Jupiter right. and you'll be and able then, to see Uranus yeah, close by. Lurking. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And actually, once you spot it with the binoculars, you can see it with your naked eye. Hmm. But you have to know exactly where it is. Really? Yes. Yes. And so, and Mercury popped up. It's popping back down. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Mercury. We missed it. It is this. so yeah. speedy. Yeah. It yeah. was great. The times we had, it was so great. <clears throat> yes, it was just terrific. But those of you who love Orion mm. and the so Sirius, clear. Yeah. Sirius is rising about 8 p.m. So you get up and you, you look it outside at 9 p.m. And there seems to be a new streetlight down there <laughs> to the southeast. It's like, oh, yeah, it's glaring. It's so bright, P. It startles people. Yes, all those winter constellations truly, yes. truly back in yes. action right now. And what's kind of cool is that when we're looking at those winter constellations, uh, Auriga and Taurus, um, uh, we're looking along the plane, the disk of our galaxy, but we're looking away from the center. We're looking out through the outer thickness of it. And so those are the stars that are farther away from the center of the galaxy than we are. And so we're kind of between the the Orion arm and the and the Sagittarius arm mm -hmm. in this little spur. And so we're looking at the stars even farther from the center of the galaxy. I have only one word for you in terms of the morning sky. Zubinel Janubi. Zubinel Janubi! <laughs> yes, Venus is hanging out right beside Zubinel Janubi. Just to the right. Zubinel Shimali is right above it. And so these are, they, they, they technically mean Zubinel Janubi is the southern claw and Zubinel Shimali is the northern claw. Mm -hmm. and, and you and all the great people who are in Tupper Lake. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Know that a lot of these names come to us from Arabic, passing through uh, people for this long. It's tortured Arabic. It's not correct Arabic, but they come to us from Arabic. And so those are some of the best names uh, of stars. So those are fun. And Venus is blazing. Venus is going to be in the morning sky. All next to Zubinel Janubi. <clears throat> next yeah. to Zubinel Janubi. Well, it's yeah. going to be moving yeah. relative to yeah. Zubinel Janubi, but that's all right. Being able to see that and point out to your kid, that star is Zubinel Janubi. And yeah, right, they're going to really believe you there. And Mars is there too, but not really <clears throat> right. seeable. It's, it's, it's rising just a few minutes before the sun. So we left Mars behind, Earth, because we're on an inner lane and we're racing ahead. So now it's on the far side of the racetrack and, and we're going to come around and catch up to it again. But we won't catch up to it until January 2025. So we're going to watch Mars slowly move through the morning sky. And then later in 2024, we'll see it move into the evening sky. And then we'll see it next Christmas. Mars will be in our evening sky. And it'll be nice to look, look at. All right. So we've got the full, we've got, well, we've got winter solstice Thursday. Yes. A week from tomorrow, the full moon. Let's hope for some clear, clear sky. Yeah, it'd be nice to word. have a clear sky for that yeah. 27th, that full moon night. It'd just be glorious. But, of course, I prefer clear skies when the moon isn't bright. So I can see the stars. But, you know, I'm weird that way. Here's to more dark skies. Yes. <laughs> Savor the dark. It's fleeting.
Oh, goodness. Well, thank you so much. Eileen O'Donoghue joins us every month to tell us what to look for in the morning and evening skies. Physics professor at St. Lawrence University. Eileen, thank you so much for coming. It's always great fun. And Tupper was great fun, too. Yes, our astronomy time. So good. Thanks, Eileen.